Thanks, Adam. That was great. Um, if you guys don't know, Adam was a pastoral intern a few years ago. He's finishing up his seminary work, and so we get to have him here. Um, my name is Nick Gibson. If you don't know me, I'm the senior pastor of this church. Um, last week was my 12th anniversary. I'm now 45 years old, which now puts me squarely in what people call the stupid decade, where men tend to ruin their lives in middle age. Um, so pray for me. Uh, I've been off for a couple weeks, which included a family trip to Alaska, which was really cool my first time. It was a cruise, so it was not adventurous, but it was an adventure. Um, I really appreciate what this church has done um, to try to encourage pastors. This is, I don't know if you know this, this is a really hard time to be a pastor these last two years. I've had more pastors quit. They're like, I don't need these people, right? I'm just, they're the flock of Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't need these people. But um, of, the, of the eight, I think there's like 18 Missouri Synod Lutheran churches in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area that are looking for a senior pastor right now. There's only like 30 total. Um, th- there's three Christian seminaries that are evangelical seminaries liquidating assets right now, laying off professors, or Gordon Conwell is getting rid of a whole campus because there's not young men and women um, going into ministry because they just don't see it as something that they want to do. And so um, supporting and inspiring new people to take care of Christ's flock vocationally is important. And this church has done a lot to try to support pastors. We spend money that you don't even know about to support pastors of other churches so that they don't fall out of the ministry. But we have, our elders have not been so hypocritical as to not do that for our own pastors. Whether it was Mike's five weeks of um, leave we gave freely in addition to his vacation after his surgery, whether it's leave we gave Devin when his wife broke her foot, um, Jory, or whether it was um, time we've given some of our staff members after the two long years of COVID that aren't vacation, that are just a month of rest leave, we gave three of our main staff members, including myself. So, and the sabbatical that the church gave me seven years ago and that I'm going to use in two years, again. Um, but one of, the, one of the ways in which we try not to like destroy our pastors is to recognize that the work of ministry belongs to the whole flock of Christ. You're all priests in Christ Jesus. You are his servants and his, his stewards. But also in the Bible, the word pastor, which means shepherd, somebody who cares for others, the word elder, which means old person. I know you, you were like, um, you want to be like, well, that doesn't mean old person. It does. It means old person. It, and, there, and you're supposed to assume that that means venerable, experienced, and worthy of, em, of emulation. But the word means old person. That is not a novice, right? And, pres- and uh, episkopos means overseer, the person who has authority to make calls and to do stuff, right? And in the New Testament, those three words are used interchangeably. A pastor is an overseer, is an elder, right? The Apostle Peter says to the elders, be overseers over the flock. The Lord Jesus has made you shepherds, right? He is the chief shepherd as a fellow shepherd. I command you to do these things. What that means is this, is that theologically the New Testament tells us that the elders of the church are the pastoral staff. The pastoral staff is not, theologically speaking, Mike, Devin, and Nick. That is not the pastoral staff of the church. The pastoral staff of the church are Mike, Devin, Nick, and 13 other men, a number of which you elected at our last congregational meeting. But you just, you don't hear from them from the pulpit very often, but um, one thing I do think is fitting is there's three men that are leaving the elder board after several years of service. So I think for at least two of them, six years of, of continuous service, this is their sabbatical year. Um, Bill, um, due to his deep wisdom and very advanced age, may not be coming back on. Though it's beautiful to see him dressed like Johnny Cash. Um, uh, we're working on, we're working on a bylaw change to create a council of elders in addition to a board of elders, so that there would be a certain set of elders that do the decision-making elder meeting stuff, but that the, the group of elders that can do the pastoral work of the church would be a larger group. 
and that we would elect the Board of Elders out of that so that somebody who's emeritus like Bill will, could still be engaged by the elders and as an elder doing pastoral ministry in the church without having to come to board meetings and decide what lighting we're going to put in. I don't know if you know, we, these lights you're under today, it's the first time. It's like they were multiple tens of thousands of dollars, sadly. Um, and, uh, but that's just part of the work of the church that the elders are doing, right? Okay, so um, I said, here's what we should do. As these three men come off the elder board, we should have them each preach. Um, so you're going to hear three 10-minute sermons from these three elders. Um, uh, Dean uh, does a lot of his work in, in college evangelism and in international evangelism. He's going to talk about the mission of the church and the evangelistic mission of the church and the, how we need to find courage to actually share our faith. Kent is a wrestler and has been the chair of our elder board and has been involved in some of our most difficult decisions like suing the state of Wisconsin to keep our school open during COVID, you know, when we had to make that call. He's going to talk about having courage in difficult times and how faith is involved in that. And then Bill is going to preach about how worship and de devotion to God himself, um, even through singing and song and poetry and scripture, is fundamental to our faith being ready to have courage and to share our faith. And so um, give them your attention. Receive as from a pastor of the church because they are the pastors of the church. Let's pray for them as they come. Lord, we thank you that you have given a collegiality to the ministry of the church, that we are all your priests. We are all your saints, and we are all your stewards. And you've called us all to the ministry of bringing people um, as a nation of king and priests to your Christ, who is our great shepherd, our great priest, and our great king. Um, but we thank you that you've given ecclesiality to the shepherds of the church and these men who have not had the privilege and leisure of spending their full work and time on doing the ministry of your church, but to do it embedded in the natural community of our culture and world. I pray that right now you'd bring forth wisdom in a way that we can receive it in such a way as that we would be moved and helped and encouraged by these people who you've put before us as old men, as examples, as not novices, as people worthy of emulation, that we have chosen for ourselves in a congregational voting, but that you have chosen for us also in your providence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess I'm the first old man coming <laughs> up. Um, yeah, we, uh, we just had our second granddaughter about 13 days ago, Kinsley. So I guess that qualifies me as an old man. <laughs> In May of 1961, President John F. Kennedy sat before a joint session of Congress, and he said, this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before the decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. This would take technology that had not been developed, an enormous amount of resources, money. Some people doubt it, that this could happen. A year later at Rice University, he said to the group, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because this goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. At the top of the program, or at the peak of the program, it estimated 
400,000 people worked on the Apollo program from 20,000 universities and industry industries. 400,000 people to put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon on July 20th, 1969. So let's look at the mission of the church. Um, if you have a Bible or a pew Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. We're going to look at the end of that, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, page 1521 in your pew Bible. <clears throat> so Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, he spoke to his 11 disciples. He went up on a mountain. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on earth has been given to me. Actually, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the mission of the church is to make disciples, to go make disciples. And I want to focus on the go part of that today. Um, so 11 disciples, they turn in their resume. Um, you have a fisherman, you have a tax collector, you have... <laughs> You have uneducated people, for the most part, told to go to every nation and make disciples. The book of Acts chronicles this. Uh, we, we hear that they first went to Jerusalem, and they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And the power came, and that first day, there were men, Jewish men and women, from many nations that were in Jerusalem, they proclaimed the good news of Jesus, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, and 3,000 people that day became new followers of Jesus. It spread through Samaria. It spread to the Gentiles. They endured persecution from the government, persecution from Jewish people. They had strife in the early church <clears throat> as the Gentiles came into the fellowship. Some were imprisoned, a few were killed, but they were committed to that mission. Let's pause and go back to that um, verse in, in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, the, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations. All nations, that word is ethos. We get our word ethnic from that. So. What's an ethnic group? It's a group of people, sometimes called a people group. It's the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understandability, language, or acceptance. So missiologists say that we need to reach 2% of each people group in order to have the critical mass to keep that gospel message going. We need to go to these nations and share the gospel until at least 
of that people group knows Jesus. So 2,000 years later, how are we doing? There's 17,000 people groups in the world. There's about 7,000 that are still unreached. Some of these are unengaged unreached people groups, which means they don't even know a Christian. Nobody in that people group has any contact with somebody who believes in Jesus. So the Joshua Project um, put together a map. Um, if you're in the sanctuary here, you can see it. Hopefully, you can see it online as well. Uh, joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net. You can go there and look at this map. You'll see a box highlighted from 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north with a lot of red dots. Those are unreached people groups. Those have less than 2% believers. Um, we have a missionary coming next week from Brazil. Look at Brazil there. Uh, you can barely see it. But there's a few red dots there in Brazil. There's, there's ethnic groups in Brazil that are not reached. You look at the United States, there's a few red dots. Um, First Nation people or other ethnic groups that are not yet reached. They're all over, but they're concentrated in this 1040 window. 10 degrees north, 40 degrees north, North Africa, Middle East, South Asia. One of my friends is from India, and he grew up in the southwest uh, Kerala section. And he said 50 miles away, actually about 30 miles away, 50 kilometers, there are people that speak a different language, eat different food, have a different culture. There's no way for them to freely communicate with them. 30 miles away is incredible. Um, and how, why does that happen? How does that happen? Some geography, you know, might, there might be a mountain or a river in between. Uh, just over the years, they've, they've become different cultures, different languages. So, um, all that to say, there's still work to do. It won't be easy, but God is working. He's creating opportunities. Uh, refugee crisis, I wouldn't wish that on anybody to be uprooted from your homeland, but God is using that to put people in different locations so that they can hear the gospel, and many are responding to Jesus. We have a family in this church from Dominican Dominican, <laughs> um, the uh, Republic of Congo, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. They were displaced into a refugee camp, and now they're here in Madison. Um, there's business opportunities to go into these groups. Uh, some, some groups have mangoes that they can't use them. They're, there's so many. They, it doesn't even pay to harvest the mango because they don't get anything for it at the market. But we can dry those mangoes and we can ship them to places like Madison, Wisconsin, where we enjoy some, uh, some dried fruit. International students, the university has about 6,000 international students. Some of those students, some of my friends, are from unreached people groups. Opportunities right in her doorstep. So God is orchestrating all these things so that his good news can go out. A few years ago, I was in the lobby out here. Some of you know Carl and Barb Sherbeck. They spent about 40 years in the Middle East. When they first arrived, there was no air conditioning over there. They would take a bed sheet at night. They would get it wet and put it over them 
So as it evaporated, they would cool down enough to get to sleep. Things have changed drastically over there. <laughs> now they have air conditioning on some of the beaches, but uh, <laughs> literally. Um, things have changed, but when they first arrived, it was rough going. And they persevered, and God used them. And I was telling them about some internationals I met. They were from a small country in the Middle East, and they were the first students ever to study at UW-Madison. And I was telling them that some of our student leaders met them at the Union and invited them to a, a party at our house to watch the Super Bowl and make Chinese dumplings. And seven of the nine students from this little country, first students ever from that country, came to my house <laughs> to watch the Super Bowl. And they started, you know, they started asking for rides, and I'm like, who are these people? And then one of our student leaders said, yeah, we met them. We invited them at the Union. And I was telling Barb and Carl about this and just saying, you know, only God could orchestrate this. And Carl, if you know Carl, he got a little smile on his face and chuckled a little bit. And he said, yeah, I think God's a few steps ahead of us orchestrating things around the world. So as things happen in the world, God's hand is in it. He's orchestrating things so that his gospel can go out and so people can hear. So you might be asking, but what can I do? What can I do here at High Point Church, here at Madison? The first and most important thing is be a good steward of the, of the gifts and resources God has given you. Be a good steward. We teach this at our membership class that I've been teaching the last couple of years. Um, God owns everything. We're just stewards. Be a good steward of what, he, what he's given us. Uh, so when Neil and Buzz landed on the moon, there was a third unsung hero that was circling, orbiting the, the earth. The mission was to put a man on the moon and get him back safely to Earth. Michael Collins was up in a, in a launch satellite, um, circling the, the Earth, sometimes cut off from communication because the Earth blocked the communication with, with the hub in Houston. He's the unsung hero. Uh, two years ago, right before COVID, <clears throat> two and a half years ago, I was on a trip to South Asia. I went to three countries. The MVP in my eyes of that trip was a person that stayed back here and arranged all the flights, all the transportation, all the places we stayed, even some of the, the restaurants we were to go to, connected with people over there that we were going to meet with, um, arranged for a very eye-opening um, guide going to some of the, the um, temples and a crematorium over there. That was uh, something I'll never forget, but um, gave me a, a deeper heart of compassion for the people of that country. Another thing you can do is adopt a High Point missionary. If you're, if, you're, if you're in a small group, you already should have a missionary adopted. If not, ask your small group leader about that. But adopt one of the HPC missionaries. Be a home away from home for international students here in our country, or in Madison here. Be a home away from home. On Labor Day, we will have a city tour of Madison. We need drivers for that tour. You can talk to me about that. You can talk to Ky Kyler, 
Westfeld about that or anybody from the GMT. We need drivers. We need host, a host home or two from High Point Church to host these people as they spend about two hours driving around the city and then going to a home for some snacks, refreshment, and introductions. We need people to go on campus before to get the word out, to let international students know. What skills has God given you to help something like that happen? Another way is to go, short-term mission trips. I talked to Mark Finley before the service. I go, I'm gonna try to send 100 to 200 people your way for short-term missions. And he said, that's great. <laughs> so let's have so many people asking about short-term missions. Um, there, there's some that go to Spain to help with the refugees over there, one of our missionaries. There's some that go to the Dominican Republic for a partnership. Let's overwhelm the GMT. You can give. You can give to, to missions. 50 100 $500 for one of these short-term people going will put a smile on their face. Teach about this great commission when you're teaching children, when you're teaching in the youth group, when you're in your small groups. Keep this in front of our minds. So to wrap up things, 7,000 unreached people group, groups, Jesus is calling us to go. This is going to take the best of our energies and abilities. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. The challenge is that one, the challenge is one we must accept and also one we need to be unwilling to postpone. It's one that will come to fruition one, one day because I've, I've read the end of the book. Go to Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And when Jesus had taken the scroll, four living creatures and the 20 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Which reminds me, I forgot one of the most important things that we can do. We can pray. We can pray for laborers to go to those 7,000 groups. You can go on Joshua Project and you can Click on one of those red dots and you can learn about a people group and you can pray. So go make disciples. A friend of mine, he comes up with these crazy ideas about going to crazy locations and doing crazy things. And I'm, I'm an engineer by training. I'm thinking about, okay, what about this? What about that? What about that? And he just says, it's going to happen. And it does. It's going to happen. And with the Great Commission, it's going to happen. So the question is, what part does God want me to play in making disciples? So three words, go make disciples. When you're thinking, you know, what do these elders talk about? Remember these three words, go make disciples. Let me pray as Kent comes up.
Heavenly Father, thank you for um, giving us everything we need to make this mission possible, giving us your Holy Spirit, giving us your word, giving us the body of Christ and all the giftings so that all of us can go and make disciples of all the nations. So be glorified through us, Lord. Take, take what I've said today and help people know where they fit in to your plan of making disciples to all the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dean. Good morning, everybody. So I'm going to start this morning. Um, there's a, a scripture that has been uh, just key in my life, and especially very key as we've, I've walked through the last six and a half years as of being an elder, and that's uh, Micah 6.8. If you're in your pew Bible, that's uh, 14.17, page 14.17. And if you've looked at different Bibles, there's different versions, so I, what I say might sound a little bit different, but it, it all comes to the same. So Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now please, just bow your head and pray with me. Lord. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. I pray for our world today and the turmoil and the strife that we are experiencing. Lord, please, please, please bring peace and calm to our nation. Lord, may I bring glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and your name be glorified. Amen. So my topic, or I, I guess the, um, the title, is Scary Things. And it's interesting as you talk about uh, keeping your head through scary things, I'm going to talk to you about some scary things. I'm going to talk to you about some really amazingly cool things. And I'm going to talk to you about some things that, that are uh, unbelievably humbling. So scary things, taking risks. If you know me, that's kind of my life, and that's, that's how I've led my, my entire time. So. As I thought through this, and as I received some wise counsel, and I prayed about this sermon, this preaching, I realized how much God has used me during these years and the wonderful things he's done in my life. So as God has, has grown me and tugged on my heart over the last six and a half years, I think some of the things that he's, he's done to me and with me um, are, are more important than some of the other things I'm going to tell you a little bit later because the wonderful thing is that he can do that to you too. So God has stretched me. He has, uh, in ways I never imagined, he has humbled me, and he has humbled me more than I ever imagined I could be humbled in, in more ways than I thought I could be humbled. I've become more solid and secure in God's word um, through consistent Bible study, through teaching, through being around and being mentored by godly men. The importance of daily time with God became a glaringly obvious to me as I carried the mantle or the burden of being an elder. My prayer life has multiplied, and most importantly, it has become more about praying with and for others than, than about praying for me. So early in our first year as, as uh, an elder, 
Mike was, was also a little bit newer here, and he was teaching elders, how, what is an elder and, and how do you shepherd? And, and Mike said one of the duties of an elder is, to, is when you see people together, you see groups, to go kind of insert yourself. He goes, you have, the, you have the, quote, right or the ability to walk into any meeting you want to in this, in this church. I said, well, you know, at one point, you know, that's, that's kind of cool, right? I can walk in and, and, and talk with people. On the other hand, I'm an introvert. So <laughs> just walking into rooms and introducing myself is not high on my list of things to do. So I thought, all right, so what do I do? So I decided that I would walk into these meetings. I'd, so I'd walk in, I'd introduce myself. I'd say thank you to the people who were there for serving. I'd ask them, how can I pray for you? And then I would pray for them, say thank you for serving, and leave. I got very comfortable with that. And many of you, I've walked into your meetings and I've talked with you and, and, um, and, and prayed with you. It has become an amazing part of, of being an elder or who I am um, here at our church. So it has been really cool. Um, two other things that have happened. God, is, God has really broken my heart for marriages, right? All marriages, and particularly the marriages of, of people who are in the ministry serving. I had the, a great privilege of going with Nick and Nicole to a, to a conference out in Colorado this last uh, spring, and I was at a, t- at a table and there were eight marriages represented at this table, mine being one and two facilitators being two of the other ones. Of those eight marriages, four of them had gone through major crisis while in ministry. Three of them are, are working their way through and one was, I don't know if we're gonna make it. We've gone through a lot of stuff. I came back from there and I told our elder, the elder board, I said, if anything like this ever happened, we as an elder board are going to get behind the, that person and we're going to support them and we're going to help them grow to help them save their marriage. The other thing is he's, <laughs> he really broke my heart for pastors and what pastors are going through. So Nick told you a lot this morning, and Nick, Nick and I did not talk about this beforehand, about what's going on for, with pastors in this world today. It's so true that there's many, many people, uh, pastors, leaving. So hear me and hear me well. We at High Point need to do everything possible to love, to support, to encourage, and to let our pastors know they are valued. I'm going to say that again. We at High Point need to do everything possible to love, to support, and to encourage our pastors so they know they are valued. Guys, we, we don't want to lose any of them. We don't want Satan to win in any of this. So that's what God's done to me. So now I'm going to talk to you about a few things uh, through, the, uh, through the last six and a half years um, that we had to deal with. So um, here's, this is the first of my 22 points. So we're, we're going to go. We're going to go along here really well. All right. So doing what I'm doing today, presenting this sermon is probably the, uh, this is stretching me more than I've ever been stretched in my life. I mean, just think about this platform. You've got Pastor Nick, you've got Pastor Mike, Pastor Devin, you've got Pastor Lloyd. 
I feel very unworthy to be here, and uh, this is probably the scariest thing I've had to do. So then 10 minutes, if, if you've ever done any public speaking, 10 minutes can be like a vapor or 10 minutes can seem like an eternity. And right now my 10 minutes is more of a vapor than it is an eternity. So I'm gonna, so anyway, so my goal is to honor God and I may maybe poke Nick and Mike a little bit along the way too, okay? So that's why the, the, the 22 points, well, we're not going to hear all 22 of them today. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting, getting a little bit on. So one of the early elder meetings, we walked into a meeting, and again, Nick talked a little bit about this. So Nick, you know, you, I'm a new elder. I'm sitting in a room with, of men that I don't feel qualified to be sitting with. And then you get uh, Pastor Nick to say, um, you're an elder, you're a pastor just like me. All right, that's good. So you should be able to preach, to teach, to encourage, to do church discipline, to visit people in the hospital, to do baptisms, to do everything that I do. How about you? But I started looking around to see if I was in the, same, the right room because that was amazing. Well, so here's one of the, one of the things. I'm doing the, the thing I figured I would never do is to stand up here and, and, and preach we got all kinds of messages about what's going on this weekend, and there's that message, you know, your role in the service today was preach. I, 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 it, I pinched myself each time. So those are two of the most scary things. Well, then as, as, uh, as a congregation, we went through COVID, right? And, you know, initially COVID was greatly unknown, and we didn't know what was going on here, here either. So one of the early estimates was that, you know, up to 4% of our population could die. Right, that was one thing that was out there. All right, so put that into perspective. With 1,000 people in our congregation, that means 40 people could have died. So as I talk about the rest of these things, I'll be clear that I didn't make these decisions. The, the elder board didn't make these decisions. We uh, talked and we worked with, with uh, Pastor Nick and Mike and, and the staff to make decisions. So. It became really, really important uh, what we did. So we decided to support the mandates. And as Nick just told you, we also sued for the school. We sued the state as part of what we were doing. The real risk that we had was if giving dropped off, we would have to lay off staff. That was very real. It was very much dis uh, discussed. We talked about starting an, an online um, streaming video ministry. Um, one of the craziest things for me was coming to this sanctuary, standing up here and doing a pastoral prayer, and there was nobody in the, in the church. You've heard me say that before. So now, please, turn your head, look around. We're together today um, when we weren't able to before. So here's some of the results. Giving went up. We started an online ministry. We all experienced that. As a church, we've given tens of thousands of dollars to different churches, to different people, and different ministries through, through COVID. I believe we've come through this pandemic much stronger and better fit to move forward. But remember, there are still challenges. We still have uh, hurdles to pass, and um, so don't rest. We need to to be ready, but we have great, great leadership. 
So a couple of amazing things, and, and they're, they're a little bit funny. Uh, a couple of them are a little bit funny. So being part of the following when I was here. So um, we presented Mike uh, to the congregation to become a pastor. Now, see, I got that one sitting right on the edge of scary and amazing, okay? <laughs> I just wish Mike was here so I could see the smile on his face. Um, we hired Nicole. We hired Devin. We said, see you later to Vince, who's a lead pastor down south. And we said, see you later to Pastor Lloyd, who's down in Chicago. So here's something that, that this is the truth as I tell you this. And um, Adam had, did not do this. Fine. I was at one of our uh, early elder meetings, and I find out that the pastoral fellow and an intern have created an elder bingo game. This is true. This is true. So each elder, they went through and, and they, they figured out one or two things that they would either say or do or how they would act. And they would text each other through the, whole, the entire meeting and seeing who was going to get bingo. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's the training you get if you come here. All right. I've had, I got the amazing privilege of signing the last document Manohar needed to get his green card. We, I was standing in the front lobby there, and Manohar had him, and, and I signed him, and his face just glowed. One of the best things I got to do. I also had the, the privilege of getting to know our, um, our staff really, really well. So one of the things I really looked forward to, and one of the things I really did when I was here, was when I would come into the church, I, I always walked through the office, and I would stop and say hi, hi to staff. And... My impression is it got to be from, oh, there's the chair of the elder board coming through and to, oh, it's Kent. He's coming through. He's going he's to talk to us. That is just an, an amazing, amazing privilege. So if you can switch to the next slide, or can I do that? Or There we go. So this is a group of men. I went back and did a little research. I was on the board for six and a half years. This, there's 26 men that I got to serve with that served you guys in this church. And there's some that aren't here anymore because they moved away. Um, but when I looked at this and I saw this, I was amazingly humbled by, by the privilege to, to serve with these men. So thank you. Thank you to the staff. Thank you for letting me be part of High Point Church. <laughs> thank you to Lynn, who, who sat beside me and stood beside me and nudged me when I needed it. It's been one of the most humbling most faith-building and enjoyable things I've ever done. Thank you. Well, some military man said that uh, your plans only last as long as the first engagement. So that's happened today. Um, allegedly, we were going to hear Psalm 96 to right now, and it's not going to happen. Um, but what we can hear is reiterating what Dean said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe 
all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's what Dean said, recording Jesus. Um, And then Kent came along, and he said, I'm quoting Micah, and actually I was there when Micah wrote that in King James English. <laughs> he has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So that's what Kent said. So who knows what I'm going to say? <laughs> um, well, what I'm going to say is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18b and 19. Um, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, my topic for this sermon <clears throat> is our worship of God, what we think and say about Him to ourselves, to our community of faith, to those around us. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury during World War II, stated, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. So remember that. You'll hear it again later. We might rephrase that to, worship is to have true thoughts about God that flow out into our words and actions in whatever situation in which we find ourselves. And let's hope something marvelous happens on the wall. No, it hasn't. 20th century novelist John Dos Passos wrote the following. In times of change and danger, when there is a quicksand of fear under men's reasoning, a sense of continuity with generations gone before can stretch like a lifeline across the scary present. So there'll be slides up on the wall from here on. So you can look at the slides if you like and not look at me. Uh, here are two bits of very recent history from my life to encourage you as you worship, even when events from worldwide big ones all the way down to little ones next to you are loaded or seem to be loaded with change or danger. Nine days ago, my wife and I were in Union Station in Chicago, waiting to get on the train to Washington, D.C. It was very crowded. It was very loud. A young gentleman in front of me had obvious special needs, but he was perceptive to his surroundings. Part of his surroundings was my voice quietly singing, I thought, under my breath. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. I wasn't making a lot of noise at all. The young man engaged me in conversation about my song. Then he, his mother, and I had a very nice little chat before we went our separate ways, all because my worship of God was quietly bubbling out of my mouth. 
eight days ago, we were in the National Gallery of Art at the giant sculpture commemorating the Robert Gates Shaw Regiment from Boston, Massachusetts. That has stormed a Confederate fort near Charleston, South Carolina in 1863. If you can't imagine what that would be like, get the movie Glory and watch it. Um, this was the first black regiment in the Union Army. Colonel Shaw, a white abolitionist, led from the front and was killed in the battle. It was said of him, he gave everything in order to save the Republic. He and his troops who fought for their liberty are worth remembering. It does not take a lot of imagination to see a parallel to Jesus' life, who gave everything to save the world, to save any and all who trust and believe in him. <clears throat> now some old, recent history. About 13 years ago, I was approached by two High Point elders who told me that the Lord had impressed upon them that I would be a good candidate for the elder board. That, of course, was preposterous. <laughs> it was not physical danger that I was afraid of, but it was change I was not ready for. Didn't they know that I was not qualified? Or so I thought. But my eventual answer, I will trust you two elders more than I trust myself, hinged on whom I believed, myself or those two elders led by the Spirit of God. I believed God through them. It was an act of worship. Remember Archbishop Temple's words, submission of all my nature to God. I usually express and understand my, uh, and understand my worship through music. That time, 13 years ago, could have had the hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. So that hymn could have been in the background. 13 years ago, my specific arm of flesh was my evaluation of my spiritual state and readiness to step up. Now let's move to three pieces of ancient history in my life tied to hymns and worship. Some of you might remember Pastor Nick once said from this platform during a Sunday service that I was 170 years old. <laughs> he was off a little. I'll be 176 next month, well, 76 next month. So my memory has become a little wobbly these days, but it's still the only memory I have, so we're going to go with it. <laughs> the first hymn I remember singing was at my mother's mother's Methodist church in the backwoods, tobacco fields country of South, South Central Virginia, just north of North Carolina. It went like this. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. I'm going to stop there. But on another song coming up, you're welcome to sing with me. You don't know the words, but you know the tune, most likely. God is altogether different from us. He creates the sunrises. He creates the sunsets. He created us for his pleasure and for our good. He is holy. Our days should be and can be filled with their, his praise. 
and our nights too. Psalm 134 says, Come bless the Lord, O ye servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. That's the only scripture that encourages you to do things for God in the night. So early in the morning is not the only time for worship, but it is a really good time to start out. I have been blessed by many hymns that come from Germany. One is Martin Luther's Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. But there's another German version that goes, Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott, ein guter Wehr und Waffen. Which, translated into English, is, A mighty fortress is our God, a shield and sword victorious. So the version that I grew up with and that we sing here at High Point has fortress, bulwark, defense, and defense, which is good, but not best. Um, <clears throat> the German version that I sang in the middle, however badly I sang German, uh, had Wehr und Waffen, which is shield and sword, offense and defense. And that's better. The reality of God's protection and his direction in our lives gives us courage to, among other things, fight the good fight, bloom where we are planted. And of course, you cannot bloom where you are not planted. We may not, or may, be planted in the middle of a national trauma like our civil war, or the current Russian-Ukrainian war, or something less global and more personal. Around 1845, James Russell Lowell wrote these words, <clears throat> which you can sing with me if you dare. Once to every man a nation comes the moment to decide in the strife twixt truth and falsehood for the good or evil side. Some great cause, some new decision Offering each the bloom or blight, and the choice goes by forever, twixt that darkness and that light. These words became precious to me in my response to the Vietnam War in my college and later days. I had just committed my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior in the midst of my collegiate studies and plans for my life, things that involved a lot of mathematics, physics, abstract thinking, change and potential danger and displacement. Lots of hopes and decisions. Would she marry me? She did. What graduate school to attend? We came here whether to accept a position with their national security agency. I did not. Or move to Canada. I did not do that either. And so on. Then to side with truth is noble when we share her wretched crust. Ere her cause being fame and profit 
prophet, and is prosperous to be just. Then it is the brave man chooses, while the coward stands aside. Till the multitude make virtue of the faith they had denied. There is indeed strong comfort and encouragement for believers in Jesus Christ knowing the reality of the mighty fortress who is our God. But there is also the reality that following Jesus may and will bring us into a position where we are hated and opposed, perhaps physically. And there may be more than just one major decision point in our life. Though the cause of evil prosper, yet his truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold, and upon the throne be wrong, Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Remember Colonel Shaw, who gave everything, as did many of his troops, to save the Republic and gain their brothers' and sisters' freedom? How much more should we remember Jesus, who gave, we might say, much more than any, anything we could give for the rescue of us? Perhaps my favorite Christmas carol, We Three Kings, captures the much more than anything we could give nature of that Uh, rescue for us. And that makes all the difference. So I'll just read the beginnings of the five verses. We three kings of Orion are, bearing gifts we traverse afar. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes a sign of gathering gloom. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. There is a bit of poetic license here. Probably there were not three principal figures coming to worship Jesus. There were three gifts, or three types of gifts. Probably they were not kings but students and authorities of prophecies and astronomical phenomena. That said, the theme of the song develops wonderfully from verse to verse. Verse 1, gifts. The wise men represent humanity responding well to God. Remember the Archbishop of Canterbury saying, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. Verse 2, gold. Jesus is the King of kings, We owe him all our treasure. We owe him ourselves. We are his stewards. 
Verse 3, frankincense. Jesus is God, limiting himself to life as a human, so we can know him and not be terrified, but through him see God as our loving Father. Verse 4, myrrh. God demonstrates his love toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Verse 5, glorious. The glory of God brings life out of death, gives courage in a shaking and earthquaking world, gives a song in our hearts that will continue into eternity, a song that might even leak out in a crowded Chicago train station to bless a special needs adult and his mother. So brothers and sisters, we entrust, we entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, to fill your hearts with worship, speaking of and living the worth of our precious Lord from this day forward. Two weeks ago, Pastor Devin closed with these words of praise and prayer. And the worship team is coming up. And in particular, one person in the worship team is coming up who hopefully will be here shortly. Um, <clears throat> so, as I am prone to say, this is my favorite daughter. Only daughter. Yes, my only daughter as well. So, here we go. Unto him be glory in the church, both now and evermore. Unto him be glory in the church, both now and evermore. Unto him, unto him, unto him, unto him, unto him be glory in the church both now and evermore. And all the congregation said, Amen. <laughs> but your clapping won't get rid of me. Uh, <laughs> so we have a, a final prayer before the final music. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can give you glory and praise, that you would accept glory and praise from us. And thank you that sometimes doing that blesses other people around us when we had no idea it would, like that handicapped young man in Chicago. And Father, thank you that when we evaluate ourselves, as um, sometimes we are very strongly tempted to say, wretched man or wretched woman that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? We thank you, Lord, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you that our freedom comes not for anything that we have done, for what you have done. Your mercy and your grace endures forever. And thank you, Lord, that you orchestrate things ahead of us that we are just blessed by. We don't know what you're going to do, but we know that what you do is very good. And all the congregation said for the third time, Amen. <laughs>